I'd like for us to read through a verse of Scripture. I know most of the time we stand when we uh, read Scripture, but uh, <clears throat> uh, I'm going to give the choir a little bit of breather. We have, some, we have some replaced knees and hips and things like that up here, so let everybody kind of sit for a minute. But I'd like for us just to read through a, verse, uh, a couple of passages of Scripture. And the first one is one very, very familiar to you. And this is, the, this is from what we're singing about Jesus, only Jesus. But uh, John 1, 1, and you know this very well. But let's read through this little passage together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then over in the verse, in Colossians 1, 13 through 17, it says, But he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Going through that verse of Scripture, that passage, do you get the feeling that our Jesus that we celebrate, our Jesus that we worship here, is something really special? <laughs> he is really, he's more than just a man. He's more than just the teacher or the prophet. You ask the world out there, who is Jesus? And they're going to give you all these human terms. Oh, he's a good teacher, he's a good prophet, you know. And some people say, I don't care who he is, you know. But he is the living God. He's the creator of the universe. In him, all things consist. And that's who we've come to. We have the opportunity and the privilege of coming together and worshiping this great, great Savior that we have sung about. And so I want you to listen to the words of the choir as they sing a song about him being the timeless one. He was from everlasting before or eternity uh, before to eternity beyond he's always been he always will be he is the timeless one listen to the words of the choir as they sing
your Bibles and go to 2 Peter chapter 2. Give me a minute to set up here. We appreciate those who labor uh, in our worship times of music, choir and Ron and all the ladies who play the instruments and appreciate the praise teams. We have two of them here at Grace. We appreciate all those that that um, labor among us to um, bring us every Sunday morning um, and it, a challenge just from the music. I mean, if you're listening to the words and, and, and you're taking and digesting those in, there's always something to learn, always something to be reminded of. And so I just want to say a, a big thank you to all those guys that, that labor among us in our music ministry. Um, today we're going to talk about the dogs and the hogs. You have to pick one, right? <laughs> pick the hogs. Um, you have a red insert in your bulletin, and uh, it's red because we're talking about the dogs and the hogs. But I wanted to kind of give you uh, just a reminder of where we've been. If you're visiting with us today, uh, you'll be able to catch up somewhat uh, from our study in Second in Peter 2. And... Um, as I said earlier, I, mean, I think this is really one of the most important messages that I've ever shared um, here at Grace. And um, I think it's, it's worthy of tremendous consideration beyond just these few minutes that we have together. So overall, in Second Peter, we have a shepherd's heart that's being revealed. Peter's the shepherd. Remember in John 21, the Lord has told him that he would sheep and tend, care for uh, the sheep. He would... He would be entrusted with, and and so um, you come to Second Peter, and you see this shepherd's heart revealed. I mean, in chapter one, um, he talks about the theme of chapter one is growing. Back that up. Is growing. Chapter uh, one, verse three, he says, "His divine power is granted to us," and he's talking to believers here. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. Um, everything that we need for life and godliness we have. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit of God that indwells you and you have the Word of God to learn from. Um, and then he tells us in 1, 5 through 7 how this is done, that we should supply in our faith moral excellence and in your moral excellence knowledge and your knowledge self-control 
in your self-control, perseverance, in your perseverance, godliness, in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. And so that's quite a list, isn't it? As we think about supplying in our faith these things, there's always something to work on in that growth piece as a believer. Um, None of us have arrived to perfection and won't this side of eternity. And so we always have something to work on in our life as a believer. And you know that. You know the challenges that come with that on a daily basis. And so chapter 1, he spends time talking about this issue of growing. Growing in your relationship to Christ. And remember at the end of the chapter, all of that is based on the foundation of the more sure prophetic word of God. And so you have God's word and I have God's word. And that's something that we're to be regularly reading and studying and meditating on. And so that's chapter one. Chapter two is a chapter of warning. As a shepherd, sometimes you have to warn. And wow, boy, howdy, have we spent a lot of time in this chapter because there's a lot to consider as Peter is warning these believers about false teachers. Now remember, these false teachers, they have the vocabulary. They look like us. They, as Peter says in chapter uh, two, verse one, they will be among you. It's interesting that Jude uses the present tense. Peter uses the future tense. Jude says, for certain persons have crept in. They're with you. Now, that's, a, that's a, a, quite a thought, right, for us in this culture to think about. There may be some within our midst today who are false teachers. <laughs> who wants to think about that, right? Everybody's looking around going, I wonder if it's him, I wonder if it's her. Right? I mean, who wants to do that? But the reality is, as Peter is warning these believers... That there are false teachers. They look the part. They sound the part. They have the same vocabulary, but they do not have the same dictionary. That's very important to keep in mind. Not the same dictionary. And so um, chapter 2 has been a chapter of warning. And as we come down to verses 10 through 22, he's really gone into a lot of depth as it relates to um, these false teachers. And I know you remember the outline, but just just for uh, your sake, I'm going to give it to you so you'll... Write it down again. Remember, we began with their attitude. The attitude of the false teachers is one of arrogance. And we saw that beginning in verse 10 and going through verse 13. Um, And then we we saw their behavior. Their behavior, we said, was godless. So their attitude is arrogance. Their behavior, godless. What does the Lord desire for his church? That we be what? Godly. That we be holy in all our behavior as he wrote to them in the first letter. And so he talks about their attitude, their behavior, and their message we saw was empty. There's nothing there. Right? There's nothing there. And we could use illustration after illustration of false teachers today who are just rambling. You remember, the authority is not in the teacher. The authority is in the Word of God. Right? That's where the authority is. And so... We've said that these false teachers set themselves up as the authority. And what they say, it goes. And there's not even any question. And we talked about the importance of having that accountability as teachers. And every single uh, elder here, I'm accountable to. But they're accountable to me as well, right? We, we have an accountability here as we teach God's word. And so the authority is not myself. The authority is the word of God. This morning, we come to what I refer to as their condition. What's the condition of the false teachers? And I just put one little small word there. You see that word? 
They're lost. They're lost. They do not have a relationship, a true relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I ask you this question today, and I really want you to consider this. What is your spiritual condition? What is it? And if you use the analogy of the physical, I mean, there's times when I've felt pretty good and I go into the doctor for a year checkup or whatever and he says, hey, Thad, this is going on with you. And you sit there and you go, I didn't know that. That ever happened to you, right? You think you're doing just fine and you go to the doctor's office and you get there and they say, hey, did you know this and this and this? And you're going, hey. Maybe that's why men avoid doctors, right? Men do avoid doctors. We don't like hearing that. So the question is, what is your true condition? Guys, I, I, I asked myself, I bet that, a hundred times this week in examining my life. What is my true condition? What is your true condition? Do you really know Jesus Christ as your Savior? You see, you're saying, I mean, really? I've always wondered how many people will be standing at the great white throne judgment, just an absolute shock that they're there. Because, oh, they went to church and, and they sat under teaching and maybe even sound teaching and, and they gave and, and they might have even taught a Sunday school class. And they might have even gone on a mission trip. And those sad words, and they will be sad words to hear from the Lord to some, depart from me, I never knew you. You know, it's like I, I thought, it's one thing to be in the house with your wife. It's another thing to know your wife. It's one thing to be in the house with your children. It's another thing to know your children. A lot to think about. Well, the way Peter presents the argument, I mean, to be honest, if I was talking to Peter, I'd say, hey, look, buddy, couldn't you have done this another way? Because the way he writes, it almost appears that these guys were genuinely saved. But they weren't. The text proves that they weren't. Um, there are some, however, that believe that these are people who were saved but lost their salvation. But Scripture clearly teaches that one does not lose their salvation. Once you're in Christ, that's it. You've been sealed with the Spirit of God till the day of redemption. Case closed. We didn't write it, he did. All right? So it, it can't be that. Who are these guys? Well, they're not saved. They're genuinely lost. They're genuinely lost, and yet, as we see in point one, yet they had been delivered from the moral pollution of the world. And I would add on to that for a period of time. <laughs> um, notice what it says, verse 20 in your Bibles. It says, for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world, now that little, the little verb there, have escaped, is interesting. The tense of the verb indicates that escape was an actual event at some point in time in the past. It actually took place. Hey, listen, there are people that escape today. They escape into religion. They're a part of a religion. And quote, unquote, morally they're doing just great. But inside they're dead men. Uh, one author wrote this, their escape was a moral, religious, uh, excuse me, was, was a moral, religious move, not a turning to Christ for salvation. Um, if Peter wanted to indicate that these guys had permanently moved away 
from the pollutions, he would have used the perfect tense, but he doesn't. In fact, he's going to use the perfect tense in a few moments. You're going to see to indicate their absolute lostness and the fact that one day they're going to spend eternity in the black, black place, darkness, called hell. So there's a couple of terms there that I thought were interesting, though, that, that you needed to, to look at, that we need to look at together. The word have escape, it means to flee away from, to move away from. Um, and remember, this is a temporary moving away on their part. And then the word defilements, what had they moved away from? Temporarily, it says, they, after they escaped the defilements of the world. Now, the word defilements means filthy things. And this is a description Peter's describing the world. Filthy things, polluted things, poisonous vapors that infect. That which contaminates is the idea. It's interesting, he uses the same term in chapter 1 in talking about believers that we have escaped. We have escaped. That doesn't mean that we've escaped this world, right? I mean, listen, we, we are exposed to sin all the time, but we're not slaves to sin. These guys are slaves of sin. They're not slaves of Christ. Um, there was a chicken, there's a chicken plant in um, a place called Storm Lake, Iowa. Our youngest son last summer played baseball in Iowa and Carroll, Iowa, and Teresa and I had opportunity to, to go up there and to watch him play. And one of the places that we went to was Storm Lake, Iowa. How many of you ever been to Iowa? Why? I mean, you know, it's like, wow, it's way out there. I mean, you just, you go north and west and you just keep driving. When you come to nothing, you're there, right? Well, so we drive to Storm Lake, Iowa to watch our son play baseball. And we, and you know, Storm Lake implies there's a lake. And guess what? There was a lake. It's beautiful. But when we pulled up to Storm Lake, all of a sudden, right, we're riding around the lake, there's this odor. And I mean, it stinks. And, and even with like the air turned on and you got just the inside air flowing, it's getting in. I mean, the stench is unbelievable. And I'm like, hey, Teresa, where's that odor coming from? And we turn the corner and there's a chicken plant right in the middle of Storm Lake. So if you have a mind to move to Iowa, don't move to Storm Lake. That place stinks. Well, you know what, guys? The world stinks. There's a pollution in our world. It's called sin. For a period of time, these guys had escaped that moral pollution. For us, as believers, we're not enslaved any longer to the pollution. But you know what? We're tempted. I want to read. I I found this article about a city that was known for its pollution. And when I use the word pollution, I mean sin. I want you to think about this. This city had a worldwide reputation for being a party city and a a center for sexual freedom where one could avail himself to the vilest of human instincts without any fears, fear of others' disapproval. The entire city was devoted to the sex industry, therefore any kind of sex was considered acceptable and fair. Say, Thad, you're reading about the United States, right? Some have speculated that after Sodom and Gomorrah, this city may have been one of the most perverted cities in human history. 
The city had a constant flow of sailors who came to town to party. And this fed the prostitution business, the largest source of revenue in the city. Furthermore, the city abounded with idolatry, which frequently incorporated a sexually immoral behavior into their rituals. In addition to all these excesses, wine was intricately tied to nearly every aspect of the city's culture. It was used in idol worship as a sacrament and a tool to commune with the spirit realm. It was commonly drunk by prostitutes and their customers, and it was readily available in the city's bathhouses to loosen people's inhibitions so that they would more readily participate in homosexual activities. So why do you get it? In other words, why do you give them the wine? So that they'll lose themselves. And, and, and pretty soon the wine's taken over and their behavior is godless. Guys, we live in a place like that. Do you know that? Our culture is like this. Basically, all these factors combined meant the alcohol business in this city was booming. So not only was the city rife with idolatry and all manners of gross sexual perversion, but the city also struggled with serious alcohol abuse and addiction. And this city is not San Francisco, could be, but Corinth. Can you imagine then, as you think about that description, what it must have been like when Paul told the believers in Corinth to flee immorality? Is all around them. Hey guys, it's all around us. It's all around us. In fact, one last statement. Corinth's reputation was so stained that if an actor in any city of the Roman Empire was required to play the role of a drunkard on stage, he was always depicted as a drunk Corinthian. Well, that doesn't sound much different than the way it is around here today. I mean, we live in a vile culture, a sick culture, where the God of this age for people is themselves. They serve themselves. So Peter says about these guys, they escape for a time this moral pollution. You and I, listen, we live in the moral pollution, but we're not to be of it. We're to be different. Well, So they're not genuinely saved, yet they have been delivered from the moral pollution of the world for a time. Not genuinely saved, but look, secondly, yet they had an intimate knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Hold on a second. Hey, are we really talking about people who were genuinely saved? Answer, no. It's interesting, however, that Peter uses not just the term gnosis, which is a general knowledge, But he uses the term epigenosis, (laughs) which is an intimate knowledge. They had an intimate knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I got to thinking about that. Wow. I I, I spent a lot of time on this point. Because there are people, potentially, that are sitting in chairs out here and in pews across this nation this morning who are sitting in Bible-teaching churches who have an intimate knowledge of the Lord. They know the vocabulary, but they don't know Him. Is that possible? In fact, the greatest illustration of that is Judas. (laughs) And as I read through a little bit this week and considering that, wow. 
Let me give you three things about Judas that I considered. And there's a lot more. You can do that this afternoon, right? When you eat. But consider this, that he was chosen by Jesus as one of the twelve. So I went back and I looked at Luke 6, and I'm like, man, do you know what it says in Luke 6? It says the Lord spent all night in prayer before he chose the disciples. And it got me to thinking, I wonder how long he spent praying about Judas. And think about it. How long did he spend praying about Judas? And think about Judas. He was given power, chapter 9 of Luke, over demons and disease. And he preached the kingdom of God. And he even reported back to Jesus all that had been done. (laughs) But at the end of the day, he was a lost man. I don't know about you, but man, I'm sitting in my office and I'm like, wow. And here's what the problem is with some churches today, present day church. There are people that are sitting in churches today that think they're just fine. I go to Grace Community Church at Deerfoot, well, I'm just fine. I go to First Baptist Church, da-da-da-da-da, I'm just fine. I'm in church. My friends, listen to me. You know what we need people to do? We don't need people to return to church. We need people to return to the Lord, right? Let's return to the Lord. I was sharing with the elders Thursday night in just a personal testimony that, you know what's not happening a lot today that needs to happen is confession of sin. Just not happening. Yeah, when I was growing up and and the preachers were preaching, I know the mindset of of people, well, that was back in the hellfire and brimstone days. Well, you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong with telling people what God says about sin? Now, I'll tell you what the problem is. People, I don't like when they yell. I don't like when they go like that. I don't like when they do like that. Eh, get over it. The bottom line is, Brother Herb Lane was telling Thad Blunt the truth. Thad Blunt, you're a sinner. And you need a Savior who is Christ. I mean, what better way to love somebody than to give them the gospel? Well, so Judas was chosen by the Lord. He was given power over demons. (laughs) To heal, he preached the kingdom, and yet the man's lost. And do you know, if you go to John 13, you fast forward the pages, the Lord even washed his feet. Now, you remember, though, in that context, that the Lord told his disciples after that, that there was one among them that was not clean. Then Matthew tells us this, the Lord said, the Son of Man is to go. Just as is written of him, but woe to that man through whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Look at this next line. Ugh. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Guys, if you're not evaluating your salvation today, man, I hope you are. Well, Peter says. They're not truly 
born again, yet they have an intimate knowledge of the Lord. And then third thing he says is they're not truly saved, yet they knew the way of righteousness. I mean, it reminded me of a, like a, a kid, right, uh, uh, who's getting older, who's maybe now 17 or 18 years old, and they've been holding on to the spiritual coattails of their parents, and they say, I know that verse. I know John three sixteen. I even know the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I even know Romans six twenty three for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I know all those verses. And because I know all those verses, I'm going to heaven. No. My friends, listen. Have you ever seen all the people that know John three sixteen on TV? They have pictures and right, they got cardboard attached to their chest and they're carrying around. You're like, man, who are you? Well, they may really know the Lord. There are a lot of people that have the verses but don't have the Savior. They've heard it even spoken at funerals. And even at some weddings where, where a testimony has been given about the couple who's getting married, who, who, who is born again, who truly knows Christ. And they've heard, hey, Jesus is the only way. And these false teachers, they knew the way of righteousness, but they didn't know him. It says it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. Why? Accountability. I mean, how many times have you heard the gospel in your life? Versus how many times, I mean, you think about the number of of cultures out there where there's not even one Bible. And they've never heard. The accountability is great. Do you know if you go and research this little phrase, the way of righteousness, in chapter 2, verse 2, Peter calls it the way of the truth. John's gospel tells us, Jesus said, I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Do you know the world hates that message? They hate that message. When you walk up, if you walk up to somebody on the street today and say, hey, the only way to God is through Jesus Christ, you might get punched. And they view it as arrogance. That we're arrogant. That somehow we've got this, you know what, guys? This is where I think we need a lesson in witnessing. It's not about us. It's about the word of God. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're just sharing the love story from the word. The great part, you don't have to make it up. It's there. Well then, did you know this way is talked about in Acts chapter 9? You remember the story of Saul? And Saul was seeking, before he was saved, he was seeking out those belonging to what? The way. Hey guys, that sounds like a narrow message that Jesus gives when he says to his disciples in the upper room, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And guess what? It is a narrow message. It is. And you know what? The world says, I don't like that. I mean, aren't there many ways to God? Right? We're all going to end up there anyway. I mean, how many times have you heard on television people say, oh, yeah, so-and-so, they're looking down on us now. And they're like, man, that's about as pagan as I've known. I mean, these listen, unless you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you're not going to be in heaven. That's what the Bible says. 
But Jesus told the disciples. I'm amazed at the number of times, if you go through the New Testament, you look at the letters, the number of times Paul, it doesn't matter, Paul, Peter, John, they're sharing letters with believers who know the Lord and they're writing about the gospel. That's not an accident. And it's not an accident. The verse I gave you at the, end, at the beginning this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, what? Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Well, just for your notes, Peter and the apostles faithfully preached the way. And do you know what's so awesome? If you go to the book of Acts, man, they're just preaching it without any kind of concern about what the crowds are thinking. You say, how do you know? Well, chapter 4, verse 12. I didn't put the reference for you. Chapter 4, four verse 12 of Acts, Peter says, and there is salvation in what? No one else. He doesn't give them multiple choice. He says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So, these guys are not genuinely saved, yet they knew the way of righteousness. How many of you this morning may know the way of righteousness, but you don't know the Lord? Well, the next point is taken from these same verses and then adding verse 22. So they're not genuinely saved and it's not a pretty picture that Peter paints. Notice he says they are entangled again, verse 20. They are entangled, or excuse me, again entangled in them in what? Defilements and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. This word intertwined with the defilements of the world, with the pollution of the world, that, that word intertwined is a really incredible word, all right? Um, that Peter uses, the word entangled there. It, it literally means this. Can I have a, Josiah, come here. This is the only way to illustrate this word. All right, if, you're, if one is intertwined, all right, if one is intertwined with the world, it literally means this. It's the picture of someone taking their hand and putting hands in their clothing, right, like this, and moving them around. That's the idea. Do you know that? That's just like I'm moving him around. That's what a person who's intertwined with the world is doing. The world is moving them around. All right, thank you, Si. I appreciate that. Really appreciate that. I wasn't planning on that. You just happened to be sitting there. Praise the Lord. So that's the term. They had become intertwined. It means literally to be in someone's clothing, just like I was with Josiah. They were intertwined with the defilements of the world again. They are entangled in them. Um, turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. I just want to show you real quickly a, a warning that we're given here. 1 John chapter 2. A warning that's given to us about the world. Now these false teachers are intertwined again with the defilements, the pollution of the world. And we know that the world is tempting. You only have to walk outside these doors, and you know that. But John writes this. Here's the warning. Do not love what? The world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father. Underscore that. All that's not from the Father, but is from the world. Wow, do we see that in our world today? 
Lust of the flesh, yes. Lust of the eyes, yes. Boastful pride of life, yes. All those things present. Notice what he says of verse 17. Boy, he gives a reality picture here in 17. And the world is what? It's passing away. It's going away. We're going to see that in, in chapter 3 as we come to 2 Peter. The world is passing away and also it's lust. Hold on a second. I mean, I thought all those things were going to be forever. No. It's passing away and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Listen, let me tell you something. People argue back and forth about what the will of God is. I'll tell you what the will of God is for you and for me as believers in Christ. And it's one word, obedience. That's the will of God for every believer. I don't care what's your stature. The will of God for you and for me is obedience. You say obedience to what? To him and his word. You say, well, I'm not sure what it says. Read it. I need to share this example with you. I was not planning on it. So early in our marriage, I wasn't communicating real well with Teresa. I was kind of living my own life, doing my own thing, and one day I came home and she said, we have a problem. I thought she meant she had a problem. She said, we have a problem, you're not communicating with me. Went and sat in front of Dr. John Wex, who was my homiletics teacher, pastoral theology teacher. We went and sat in front of him and I thought, oh, there's gonna be like four or five sessions, you know. I know Dr. Wex, this is, he's just gonna go. He looked at me and he said, Thad Blunt, do you know what the Bible says about being a husband? I said, yes, sir. He said, do it. (laughs) Hey, we laugh. But just do it. He said, well, I can't do it. You're right. You can't do it in and of yourself. I cannot love my wife as Christ loved the church without the help of the Holy Spirit. But the great part is the Holy Spirit lives in me and helps me. Did you bring your lunch today? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, All right. So they're entangled again, he says. Then he tells us they're overcome. Notice what it says. They are entangled again in them and are overcome, in them meaning the defilements, and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. You're like, what in the world is he saying? Well, that word overcome there means to be enslaved. They're enslaved to the world and to the lust of the flesh and all those things. But it's interesting here. He says the last state has become worse for them than the first. You see that word become there? It's perfect tense. Now, that might not mean a lot to you, but when you're studying, it means a whole lot. Because what Peter is saying here is that their condition of being overcome to the point of being enslaved is permanent. That's a sad picture. In other words, as one theologian wrote, they're lost. And do you know what the Bible tells us about these guys? Look at verse 17. And he says it many times in relationship to their judgment. Notice he says, at the end of 17, and he's talking about the false teachers for whom the black darkness has been reserved. Now, does that sound like heaven to you? 
That doesn't sound like heaven to me. So these people who hold, well, these are believers who lost their salvation. Well, Peter just said the black darkness is reserved for them. When I read about heaven, it doesn't mean black darkness. I mean, the only light we need in heaven is the Lord. He's the light. (laughs) That's going to be awesome. We'll get to that in chapter 3. My guess is you'll like chapter 3 better than you have chapter 2. But they are overcome. They're entangled again, he says. And then thirdly, he tells us in this ugly picture of these guys, he says they turn away and return. They turn away and return. And those words emphasize the decision of the false teachers to abandon the professed way. They profess to know, but they don't know. And they go back to their previous, and I put belief or beliefs. Notice what he says. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. Why? More accountability than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment, the apostles teaching the scriptures, the gospel that was delivered to them. As this one theologian wrote, they're without excuse. They have no excuse. It's been preached to them, but they turn away and they return to their former beliefs. And then he uses an illustration in verse 22. And here's where the dogs and the sow come into play. By the way, um, the dogs that we revere so highly in this culture, not exactly the way it was back in the first century, just so you guys know. Um, you know how we dress our dogs these days? They, people dress their dogs and pet their dogs, praise the Lord, and do all that stuff, right? They didn't, that's not a dog back in the first century. A dog back in the first century, a scoundrel on the streets, eating stuff you wouldn't want to eat, all right? And notice what Peter says. In describing these false teachers, he says, it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, which this proverb occurs in uh, Proverbs chapter 26, verse 1. A dog returns to its own vomit. You ever seen that? You ever witnessed that? It's disgusting. You know how I feel about dogs, but when I was a, if you're visiting with us today, I'm not a huge fan. But um, when I was a boy, we had a collie. It, collie looked just like Lassie. Beautiful dog. When that dog was sick, I remember when the dog got heart, heartworms, and that's how the dog died. But that dog would puke. And I remember the dog returning to the puke. Isn't that an awful picture? Well, that's, that's the picture here Peter's painting of these guys. I mean, these guys return to the vomit. And then he says a sow, after washing, all right, after washing, so they're clean for a time, returns to wallowing in the mire. Um, this is actually not in the scriptures, but was believed to be well known among the Jews in the first century. So where the first proverb comes from 26.1, the second proverb was well known to the Jews in the first century. One theologian wrote this, Peter's point in pointing out the, the dogs and the hogs, he wrote this, just as dogs and hogs eventually return to unclean living, so also do false teachers. They may give the impression of holiness for a time, but they are truly far from the Lord Jesus. Guys, you read those verses, isn't that sad? Isn't it sad? That's a sad commentary. 
if these guys would give the impression that they know the Lord, they know all these things, but they really truly don't know him. There's a, a warning and an illustration I want to leave you with this morning. Here's the warning. The warning concerned the Pharisees. You remember what the Lord said about them? It says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And that's what he says. You clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. Uh, Jesus, boy, he just gave it right to him, didn't he? You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. Then he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. And he says, even so, you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Imagine if you were one of those Pharisees hearing that. Because they thought themselves as really righteous. And here's this guy revealing their heart. So I have to ask you, where are you? I mean, where are you? There's nothing wrong with leaving today going, man, I was convicted by that. There's nothing wrong with that. We need to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. There's a radio preacher. He does appear every once in a while on television. A solid Bible teacher. And he got a letter years ago from one of the guys who had been a part of his church, member of his church, actually, for several years. Um involved in the ministry and he wrote a letter back to the pastor and he wrote these words dear sir over many years I have been blessed to receive free tapes CDs and books from your ministry thank you at those times I really appreciated them he said now I no longer believe in the God of the Bible or in Jesus Christ Ten years, listen to this, ten years of full-time ministry proved to me that there is no God and that the God of the Bible does not care. I now reject Christianity and have come to peace. What was at first a great loss has now turned to joy, peace, and freedom. I did not leave the faith because of some extreme sin, I left because the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit are all a fantasy. I'm happy I now live in the real world. Well, sure he is, because he can govern his own life. I only feel guilt about the many people whom I led to Christ and exposed them to the lies of Christianity. I'm not mad at Christians. I'm not mad at you. However, I am mad at myself for not being a more critical thinker I won't make this mistake again. Again, thank you for the many years of help and teaching you and teaching you all shared with me. I do appreciate what you're all trying to do with the knowledge you have. Please remove me from your mailing list. Save the money. Don't waste it on an apostate like me. I was just giving your CDs away, but now my conscience can no longer tolerate the further spread of a false hope and disappointment. I read that 
and it just broke me. And I began to think immediately, are there any in here who are holding on, especially young people, listen to me, who are holding on to the spiritual coattails of your mother and your father and you think you're okay, but you're lost. And you're 17 and 18 and 19 and 20 and we know what happens when they get into the colleges. Everything is thrown at them that has nothing to do with God, Jesus Christ, creation or anything like that. And it's a message of, hey, listen, we live in this great big world. You can do what you want to do. You're your own boss. There is no accountability. As we're going to come to chapter three, hey, look, if there's no accountability, I can live like I want to live. If there's no fear of judgment. But the Bible's clear, guys. There's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. And I trust that you know him today. I can't imagine what it must have been like for that pastor to read this letter. And to sob and to mourn over someone who was truly lost. Who claimed to know Christ as Savior. Let's pray together. Lord, as we read this text, we're just... uh, It's a sobering text because, first of all, you have Peter who... um, who's a shepherd who's concerned for his flock. And he sees and hears the damage being done by these false teachers. And Jude's right there with him. And Jude says they've crept in unnoticed. But they were long marked out beforehand. And Jude's heart was, I want to write about our common salvation, but I have to warn you. And and Peter spends an entire chapter warning his flock about those who truly are opposed to Christ and the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would help us today, not tomorrow, today, that we would examine ourselves, that we would test ourselves, that we would ask the question, have we truly trusted in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation? We're not trusting in anything else, not in religion, not in works, not in behavior, but we're trusting in Christ and what He did on the cross, and that's it. That His his death paid my debt. And Lord, as I was thinking about the song this morning, Amazing Grace, it truly is amazing. You know, Paul came in the middle of Romans and he says, oh, wretched man that I am. And I'm coming to the age, Lord, where I've I've recognized more and more every year that I am a wretched man. And it's only by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that I'm saved. And it's only because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so I just pray that this morning and this afternoon and today that, that the people in this room would examine themselves to see if they're in the faith. And Lord, if they are, I pray you would encourage them and strengthen them as we face a world of uncertainty for so many. But we have the end of the story. We know what's going to happen because you've told us in your word. And so next week as we come together and we begin to consider chapter 3 and, and your coming... What a glorious thought that is. 
But until you come for us, I pray that we would live lives that are pleasing to you. And all these things I pray in the name of Christ and for his sake, amen.